This is Jessen Mason with the Mostly Green Life, the podcast that's making sustainability and our connection to the environment more fun and approachable for the eco-curious. Today, we sit down with Amy Stedman of Beatbox Beverages in Naturally Austin, a true powerhouse in the Austin CPG community. Is it possible to have just a fun brand on the outside, but be a pioneer of sustainability behind the scenes? You can probably guess what our answer is, but listen to learn more. Today we have Amy Stedman, founder and chief get shit done officer of Beatbox and current president and one of the founding members of Naturally Austin. Also first generation immigrant, got your citizenship 11 years ago today. Is that what you said? I got approved 11 years ago today. Wow. And where did you immigrate from? Um, I am a British citizen, but I was born in Kuwait and lived in Syria right before I moved here. My mom's from Syria. My dad's from the UK. Interesting. And are they, uh, both your parents are in the US as well? Yes. We're all citizens now, all fully American. So when did y'all come over? In 98. My parents wanted to be entrepreneurs. My dad worked for Motorola and my mom worked for another big sort of company. And they both quit their jobs and moved to Texas to be entrepreneurs. And they had these really cool vending machine businesses when I was a kid, which I loved with the stuffed animals and the cranes oh, yeah. and uh, the stickers That's and so the candy. <laughs> so that was a very fun business for me as a child to be around. But <laughs> For sure. They also had like carpet cleaning companies and sold stuff on eBay, all kinds of stuff. Neither of my parents went to college, so they were just kind of making it work. So it was always their big dream for me to be an entrepreneur as well. And definitely suited my personality growing up. I was always like, how much does this cost? How much does this cost? Like trying to figure it out. So watching them, you know, they always say like, if you can see it, then you can easily do it. So Mm -hmm. definitely got influenced watching my parents be immigrant entrepreneurs here in the U.S. Yeah, that's awesome. Talk to us about Beatbox and how you, how it came about. Absolutely. So uh, when I first graduated undergrad, I was in online marketing. So this is back in 2008. I don't know if you remember that year, but it was a hard year to get a job unless you knew coding or web stuff or something that was going to help you. And so I, I was always a big nerd. I used to build my own computers to play video games. I've been making websites since I was like 10 years old. And so I kind of optimized around that in order to survive back as, as an early graduate in 2008. And so I really specialized in online marketing and websites, things like that. I actually ended up starting my own online marketing company and website company and went to go get my MBA at the University of Texas McCombs program and joined Entrepreneur Society. It was there that I met my co-founder for Beatbox Beverages, Justin Fenchel. He said, hey, we want to make a millennial version of boxed wine and neon boxes. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, I could make websites. And so at the time, I was like, sure, I'll make you and your buddies a website for your, you know, Boombox is what it was called at the time, Boombox Project. And he was in the MBA program with you? Yes. And he, yeah, he had the idea with his friends to start this company that would it's probably every guy does it's <laughs> yeah. like let's start an alcohol company <laughs> it'll be great yeah. Yeah. we already drink so much <laughs> i mean so this is 2011 now so 2010 was four locos big year right that right. was kind of the year they got banned and everything so everyone had been partying with malt beverages like four loco and uh flavors and things like that um, but we had also seen boxed wine at every party every tailgate floating the river in san marcus mm-hmm. and so we're like, wow, somebody really needs to make a Four loco mixed with a Franzia 
that yeah, actually did they take have skin. photo box or anything back then or was it just Franzia? I think they did have some, you know, other boxed wines and things like that, but the brands were very sleepy. They were mostly marketed to retired people mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And our generation was buying, I was 23 at the time, and like we were the ones buying it, I feel like the yeah. most. I feel like I drank a lot of Franzia and a lot of Four Loco <laughs> yes. back in my day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we just were like, hey, what if we created a brand that millennials would really get behind? And this was also the big debut of music festival culture and like Coachella being such a huge thing and mm-hmm. all these big music festivals. And my partners had gone to Electric Daisy Carnival and they were like, oh my gosh, this is the wave of the future. Let's build a brand around how music connects us all globally. And so that's why we wanted to call it Beatbox. I think they thought I was cool because I had an electronic music radio show at UT. I was like a student radio DJ. Really? Yes. That's fascinating. My radio show was called Disco Jorts. (laughs) So (laughs) um, it was really fun. And we bonded over electronic music and all kinds of music, really. But that started Beatbox Beverages. And we did... The MBA program had a lot of sort of like business plan competitions. You could, you know, business plan class and, you know, had a sort of like a formal way for you to start working on your company. And so we used every group project, everything we could do to start the company and eventually launched it during South by Southwest 2013, just a couple months before we graduated. And yeah, we were making it ourselves and I still had a day job, you know, all the Was it legit trash can punch then? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. We had a very bare bones facility on Runberg and 23 Eastside, Northeast Austin, and just a small facility that we could afford. We always say it looks like a scene out of Breaking Bad, but instead of (laughs) making blues, you know, we're making the blue stuff, uh, beatbox. So it was only one flavor at the time, the, the blue raz. So we just had all of our friends come down and help us and it was very manual in the beginning. You know, we basically had a giant blender, big mixing tank and the bag and box machine, vacuum fill mm-hmm. machine. And so I would go to work at UT. So after we graduated, I got a job working for the entrepreneurship department at UT. They had a really cool role for student entrepreneurs that if you did want to start your business, but you weren't like independently wealthy, they would give you a role where you could have health insurance for a year and things like that. So That's I helped awesome. Yeah, I helped run like the business plan competition and run the entrepreneurship programs while working on my own company. So that was really cool. So I would work at UT until like 5 p.m. and then go to the warehouse and we would put the playlist on and just work there until like one or two in the morning go home. And then on the weekends, we would be like three to six to nine hours doing the samplings, just trying to get the word out, get feedback on the product. And so that was the first year, just working a day job and and trying to get it out there. And then about a year later, doing South by Southwest 2014, we pitched for Shark Tank. We did a alumni casting call kind of thing and pitched for Shark Tank and then eventually filmed. So it was was through UT, Yeah, yeah, through UT. They also had like casting calls just for South by Southwest. And then my business partners are from California. I think they also sent an application to like the studio in California as well. And we kind of tried to like, hey. Come from all angles. Yeah, yeah, make sure you see us. And it just worked out. I mean, Shark Tank, of course, is very difficult to actually make it on the show. There's lots of rounds of cuts from being part of the casting calls all the way to filming, all the way to if you film, they tell you you might not be on TV, but... 
we just got super lucky. Anybody <laughs> one of the chosen ones. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, I was 25 at the time and we, we thought they were going to be so mean to us, you know, and, and it's called Shark Tank, right? You don't yeah. expect it to be like go super well right away. So we went out there. I was so nervous, but uh -huh. we ended up getting one of the biggest deals on the show of all time. We got a million wow. dollars from Mark yeah. Cuban. Yeah, I was just off to the races from there, but in retrospect, was there anything that you think was key to success to getting on Shark Tank and then getting an investment? Yeah, we had a couple of things going for us. One, I don't think they had too many alcohol beverage products on the show because, you know, beer and wine and things like that, they're trying to stay away from harder alcohol and things like that. But us being a wine, we kind of fit into what they could put on TV for us. So that was really mm -hmm. good because we were in a unique category. Mm -hmm. And then also our product is neon. We were young people. We brought the energy like in a huge way. And so you just got to remember Shark Tank is a TV show. You have yeah. to give them great entertainment. TV. And so we just brought 150% energy every time we met with the producers or anything so that they knew that we'd be a great TV uh, moment. So, yeah. That's the only thing I can remember. It was such a blur at the time, you know. So grateful for the experience, obviously. And then, so how long from filming to show air? And then did, back then, I know some deals now, they allow you to, it's like you can back out up until it shows, the show airs or something. So what is the deal mechanics? So, you know, when you go into the show, they don't know anything about you. The sharks don't. They just know your first name. They don't have any information. And so, of course, they need some time to do their own diligence with their own lawyers and their own people. And so you shake on the deal as a handshake agreement, and then everybody goes home, and there's a lot of diligence that goes into it. So for us, I think it went till just before we aired in October from June. So sort of mid-end of June till end of September or so just figuring it all out with Mark Cuban's team and yeah. eventually we're able to, to close it in a way that made sense. For us, it was a little tricky because we're in alcohol. So there's all these like weird three tier laws that we have to deal with. So right. we had some nuances there with his other investments that we had to sort out. But all in all, pretty short experience. You know, we've done a lot of fundraising since and sometimes <laughs> stuff doesn't even close that quickly. Yeah, yeah, it sure. worked out. And one of the reasons why we want to be your best friend is not only do you have an alcohol company, but you're passionate about sustainability. When did your passion for sustainability really get instilled and what's beneath it? You know, I can't really remember a time where I wasn't concerned about climate change just because I'm from the Middle East. So if you're in the Middle East, you definitely know the power of a 10 year drought and things <laughs> like that and, and completely wrecking your society. And so yeah. intimately familiar with that. And then always really cared about it. And I think becoming a CPG professional really forced me to think about it critically because anybody that's making food or beverage products, anything in packaging, you think about all the stuff you're making and all the carbon you're using, driving it around the country and things like that. And so, you know, bringing it forward into my career and my business life has been super important for me just to be my true self, because I think I love parties. I love music. I love people. But at the same time, we can't ignore like what's going on with the world. And so how can we balance those motivations to create something that we truly feel good about uh, mm -hmm. doing? Did you guys think about them out the gates with the product in terms of the packaging and how you'd get it to and from? Or as the company's grown, you've taken a step back and looked at the model and then adjusted from there? Yeah, our very first beat boxes had like little happy dancing trees on them and stuff because obviously like box wine is a more carbon efficient packaging alternative to 
glass bottled wine. And so that was something that we started with. And then as we moved to single servings, which 99% of our sales now are not based on the big bag and box product that we had on Shark Tank, but on our 500 milliliter Tetra Pak products and much more single serving. So when we looked at single servings, we did look at cans, we did look at bottles and everything else, but ultimately we decided to go with the same ethos um, with Tetra Pak and go with the more carbon efficient option, especially since over the past 10 years, that has become even more of an emergency. So in terms of prioritizing on packaging as a, I'm the operations person in my company, so I'm an operations founder. I definitely love to geek out about this stuff. And carbon efficiency is what we optimize for above waste just because of the time sensitive urgency of the problem. Amy and I helped get an organization going in town called Naturally Austin. You want to talk about why you got involved in that? For sure. So Austin's got a great startup community, you know, big reason about why we all chose to stay here after we graduated or whatever <laughs> brought us to Austin in the first place. But back in the day, it definitely was all about tech startups. So going to events here in town, you'd hear about users and things like that. And I'm like, well, I'm making a retail only alcohol beverage product. You know, where am I conversations were my people. And of course, Austin has always been so friendly and collaborative with, I remember Mason, you coming to my classes at UT and talking about <laughs> Greenlang back in the day. And I wondered about that. I was like, what's the timing yeah, right? Cause yeah, I did speak no, of to course. Yeah. yeah, no, I saw you for sure. And uh, Clayton Christopher from T Betty was having a great success while I was in the MBA program. So he came and talked to us, Tito Beverage, same thing. Mm -hmm. So we had, we knew we had these leaders in the community that wanted to give back. And so a group of us, you know, obviously you included, mm -hmm. Felipe, Genevieve, Dan, decided, hey, we want to create something just for product companies here in Austin. And so I started calling like all these different accelerators and different things from around the country. Eventually we landed with the Naturally Boulder model, the Naturally Network, because it's a nonprofit mission-based organization. Mm -hmm. So we're not a fund, we're not an accelerator, we are a large group that's welcome to everybody to join with a mission of building responsibility in the consumer goods sector. So uh, food, beverage, soap, anything you buy in the store, as well as, of course, more and more things moving online, things are buying, people buying online. We're trying to create a community of people working in this industry in Austin that do care about these issues and, and work together to be leaders uh, leading from here in Austin and then work with our chapter cities. It's really cool to be part of the network because we've got Boulder, we've got Chicago, we've got several chapters in California now and New York. And so it's really cool to think of programs here in Austin that we start and then could possibly scale through the other chapters and vice yeah. versa. So yeah, nationwide reach chapters, not everywhere yet, but <laughs> yeah. access to the naturally network across the nation. Yeah. yeah. And even from attending all of the natural product expo East or West, like there's always been such a large amount of companies coming from Austin and there was all the happy hours. And so I'm sure when naturally Austin was started, they're like, Oh great. There's like something official that we can actually gather yeah. to and not just, you know, random people trying to put together a happy hour or something like that. And that was part of the vision too, is keeping a nonprofit community, keeping a community organization. It's not owned by any specific company. Everybody is welcome. And that was the vision from it from the start, just to create a, like I said, a community. So. Yeah. I remember getting, fielding a lot of questions and they're like, but what are you, like, what are you trying to do? It was like, we're trying to help people. Like, yeah, but so <laughs> what do you, but, but then, then what do you do? We help them more. <laughs> we just 
For me, the a model was uh, Capital Factory, and I would tell everyone that we wanted to be the Capital Factory for CPG because yep. they are really the they're the center of gravity in Austin for technology the tech startups. Yep. So uh, I think naturally, but I think also, they also have a for profit model, right? They do. So they have actual you know investment funds and accelerator programs, right. and I guess we've I felt like SKU was blazing that trail yeah Yeah. and so that we should really just focus on the community aspect of it and it's uh it's been a blast our first pitch event is like over 600 people came and yeah 30 or 40 companies two years ago today yeah (laughs) our pitch event and obviously during the pandemic it's been a challenge to serve the community in the same way because before you just have a happy hour 400 people show up and naturally everyone would be helping each other in person and so Mm -hmm. it wasn't too hard to facilitate that but i think that the team has done a really great job of bringing the virtual events and bringing smaller sort of groups together to where we can still have the connection going no matter what stage of pandemic we are in. Yeah. So if you're out there and you want to start a food product, we'll have in the show notes information on the Naturally Network and probably should move to Austin if you want to start a food product. (laughs) Absolutely. It's where to be. Yeah. There's also virtual events for like sales managers and marketing managers too. So even if you're in the industry already, it's a great community to be involved in beyond just being an entrepreneur wanting to start your own company. Yeah, I think of it as a professional association that happens to be mission-based. And even within that, you've been pioneering some sustainability initiatives? Yeah. One of the things that we've been trying to do at Beatbox is do the B Corp certification. And my experience doing that, so far it's been, I think, even more than a year of working with consultants and trying to figure it all out. And so just as an idea of how we could have impact in the industry, leaning on certifications and other programs like B Corp. I know they're not perfect, but they're really great opportunities for brands to learn about how to do business in this way and how to be a responsible brand. They have frameworks for that that have already been built. Yeah, can you explain B Corp a little more? Yeah, so B Corp is just like an organic certification, but it's for a whole business model. And so B Corp is a nonprofit. They analyze uh, a lot of things. You have provided a lot of data about your business model from sustainability to how much does your CEO get paid versus your you know, lowest paid worker, like all kinds of things. And they give you a score and it's a pretty high standard in order to get the certification. And so the idea is if more companies get this certification and we're able to create more of a standard for responsible business through it, that it it could be a good way to transform our economy without having to pass policy or or other kinds of things that, you know, entrepreneurs and professionals could just choose to do more responsible practices, signal that to the consumer, and together we can create that as a standard. And so through the Naturally Network and, and our chapter here in Austin, we've started something called the Sustainability Forum. We've done events with consultants and things like that to help connect anybody that's interested in advocating for sustainability in their company, just resources and mentors and more people they can talk to about that because it is such a overwhelming to-do list sometimes to actually go forward and push some of these initiatives through. And so we want to create a really strong community of experts and just somebody you can call if you're having issues figuring it all out. So My company, Greenlang, at two companies ago, we got... B Corp certified, right? When they were developing the the, the, the certification. certification. Yeah. Because we were, I mean, we were doing local food and organic and 
everything about our company was like perfect score for their certification, except for governance, corporate governance. We didn't really, we didn't have a big board or anything. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we don't, I mean, you score zero on corporate governance because we were just bootstrapping the company. Like a and, private company. Yeah. And they're like, but everything else is perfect. So we're definitely giving you the certification, but you do need to start paying attention to corporate <laughs> governance. And I'm like, okay, yeah. yeah. And and through that process, I bet you learned as an entrepreneur how to do that better. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's great as part of the education too. And now they're going state by state and companies can opt to form as a B Corp. And then that allows the company to actually have uh, environmental goals as part of their charter. It's like right now, companies in the U.S. have to put profit above the environment to be a public company for sure. Private, the charters can be amended some, but you can't have a public company with public benefit as part of the charter until a few years ago when B Corp started doing it. And you can do it in Delaware, I think Texas as well. I think there's a handful of states that you can actually form a company with public benefit as part of the bottom line. And Mm -hmm. so that's a really cool advancement. Yeah, we're we're still technically an LLC, but we Mm -hmm. amended our bylaws to say, hey, you know, this company considers the environment and the people as well as the profit when we make business decisions and things like that. I think converting from an LLC to a B Corp would be is much harder than (laughs) starting as one. Right, right, (laughs) exactly. Are there any brands in Austin that are already doing a kick-ass job in terms of their sustainability efforts that have worked with you guys through these forums? Well, we have Thrive Market and Gaia Herbs, two professionals that help run those companies are part of our board in Naturally Austin and help teach some of the sustainability forum classes and things like that, which is really great. Those are two companies that have gone above and beyond in terms of trying to make their name in the industry for sustainability and sourcing, things like that. So definitely want to point out those. We have quite a few here in Austin for sure. I don't want to miss anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Beatbox has created a couple of extra brands now. No longer. (laughs) No longer. So, so yeah, back in 2018, 2019, Beatbox was doing a big change where we were switching our distribution network from wine and spirits wholesalers to the beer network. And so, you know, it's a wine-based product. And so this is pretty unique to be distributed by the beer network. But just in terms of the brand and which stores we wanted to be in, what part of the store we wanted to be in, it made sense for us. At the same time, though, we noticed that the beer wholesalers really wanted more wine and spirits type products because those were more profitable for them. They were incremental to what they were selling already. Mm. And so they came to us and said, hey, what else would we be able to sell in the truck? Do you guys have any canned wine? Do you have any seltzers, anything else? And so we developed out Corkless, which is environmentally conscious canned wine brand, and then Brizzy Seltzer Cocktails, which was a craft cocktail inspired seltzer Those were both set to launch early 2020, which we all know Mm. what happened to all the innovation (laughs) brands that wanted to launch 2020. And at the same time, Beatbox Beverages just ended up having such a huge blow up moment in 2020 that we decided as a small company to completely focus on Beatbox Beverages. We're also in a lawsuit with Busy from Molson Coors around our brand Brizzy. We since settled that and, and part of the settlement was we no longer make Brizzy. So mm. um, that was an easy one to, there was a reason to stop doing that one. Well, I'm sure there was a ton of work that went into both of those. So yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. And no one could have guessed what happened in 2020 with the pandemic. So I'm just mm. super grateful that we are still rocking and rolling with Beatbox and it's doing better than ever. So thank God for that. 
And you guys were recently an official sponsor for EDC, the Electronic Daisy Festival. How was that for you, like personally and for the brand? Oh, it's incredible. After going nearly two years without any music festival events and that being the true ethos of the brand. And for me, I'm behind the computer a lot of the time, you know, working on logistics, manufacturing, sustainability stuff that we're doing. So being at the music festivals and dancing with people and drinking beatbox with people is like my time to connect with everyone. And so our first festival back was Rolling Loud in July, which is a hip hop festival. I went to that in Miami just because I really wanted just to connect with everybody because it had been so long, had a great time there. And then EDC, like I mentioned, was my business partner's inspiration basically for the whole brand. Yeah. And so going back this past weekend and doing that and being the title sponsor was like a super incredible experience. So the brand product fit for EDC and Beatbox <laughs> is like completely awesome. And we were definitely sold out at all the bars. One of the number one things we've heard since the event was we tried to buy you guys and you were sold out at the bars and... So we were, we, so cool. we had really good performance at the I end. I mean, I guess it's still a problem, but. <laughs> it's a good problem. Yeah. Good problem <laughs> good to have problem. Yeah. Thank God. Grateful <laughs> for those problems. So. And of course we got to dance with everyone, which is my favorite part. Yeah. I think ACL was the first music event or festival that we went to since COVID. And that was a blast. It sounds like you've been to a few since then. Definitely went to ACL as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll sponsor that one one day. That would be an amazing a milestone as well. Definitely. Yeah. How big is EDC? EDC is about 150,000 people per day for three days. Wow. So it's definitely, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the U.S. or North America in terms of music festivals. It's, a it's huge always been on event. my list to go. Yeah, so you guys would love it. <laughs> Come next year. <laughs> There's so many great ones. Good news is Beatbox is probably sponsoring all of them next year. So. <laughs> Come along for the rest. We'll come be brand ambassadors for you guys. Love that. Love that. Yeah, I went with a, a business group and we. someone was like, hey, there's this big electronic music festival in town. Do y'all want to go? And we're all like, yeah, sure. Try something new. And so I went and it was me and about 10 business guys that were older than me. And then it seemed like 80,000 18 year olds on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a lot of folks dancing around crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good people watching for sure. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And so you guys have also had tons of awesome uh, marketing collaborations with some big names. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about those? For sure. So we worked with a person called Dogface, who I think probably everyone would remember during the pandemic. He was drinking cranberry juice and rolling down the street on his longboard. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he was probably the first sort of breakout TikTok viral meme that everybody watched. And, you and he know. was singing Fleetwood Mac? Yep, yeah. yep dreams. And so we reached out to him and his team and developed a flavor called the Cranberry Dreams flavor. <laughs> and uh, from calling them until having it on retail shelves in about a thousand Kroger's was about four months or five wow. months. So that was really crazy for so my quick. operations team, but pulled it together and the flavor is delicious. Where can people find Beatbox? Yeah, Beatbox, we're currently only in about 6% of all the stores we could be in the U.S., but, you know, aggressively investing to get to 100% as soon as we can. But we're in almost every state. We're launching the Northeast and next spring. We've got a couple other states we're not in, but we're in almost every other state. And here in Texas, you can find us at HEB, Specs, Quick Trip, lots of different convenience store chains, things like that. So 
check us out, Store Locator. We actually have more than 3,000 people per day visiting our Store Locator in the last wow. 90 days. Really? Which is insane. But That is a ton. We hope to get it out to you ASAP, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fight to get in retail shelves, but we are battling that every day. Yeah. One of our questions was, what, do you, what is one of your biggest challenges right now? Would you say that's it? Or is there anything else? Say since Shark Tank, where we had our big sort of brand awareness moment back in 2014, I mean, we've had that long to build consumer branding with folks and we've been doing things fun online since then and doing all these kinds of things. So we have a lot of pent up demand. And I think right now in our industry, ready to drink cocktails is finally like the number one category. You know, we started this company like even before the craft beer boom. So you can Mm -hmm. think about all the trends that we've seen come and go. And right now is really our moment. We're the number one brand in that category and it's the number one category in terms of revenue per store. And so we're really trying to just prove everyone, hey, it's our time. Uh, we deserve to be on store shelves, get us distribution. And so we're working with all of our wholesalers. We have more than 200 wholesalers and That's a um, lot to manage. lots of retailers <laughs> as well that we're trying to show them what's happening online, show them what's happening and, and why we need to be in their stores in a bigger way. So that is our job over the next two years. And within the alcohol industry, how much would you say sustainability is a topic? I think this year more than ever, you see people like Anheuser-Busch really taking a bigger stand on building sustainable breweries and things like that. People are looking at alternative packaging in a big way. I think just because there's not any cans or bottles around. And so they're like, hey, what else is out there? (laughs) I think especially with the Biden administration and potentially creating more of a structure from a government perspective for business to operate from a sustainability perspective in terms of like carbon pricing or other things that we may be doing, I think the bigger players know it's coming. And so they're planning now. And then the innovation players are using it as a way to just Differentiate. Build, differentiate and build connection with consumers and be ahead of what's coming. You know, in general, I wouldn't say it's like the number one thing talked about. <laughs> We're in the alcohol beverage industry. This is an industry that people don't often associate with happy, cheery values. And so I think it's even more important for the brands to step up and say, hey, even though this might not be what we talk about at the time of consumer purchase, we need to be doing this stuff back of house so mm-hmm. so our customers can relax and not worry about it. Like when you're in enjoying beatbox. I want you to be jamming to music and having a great time with your friends. I don't want you worried about the world blowing up, you know? (laughs) So I think all of us as as business leaders need to kind of take that burden off of our customers. Yeah. We talked to a sustainable wine company and and we're kind of blown away by what really is in wine and, and wine companies don't, you know, have to even tell you what's in the wine. So I'm glad there's some back of the house action and we think consumers should be asking more questions about that and about what is in their alcohol and what is the supply chain for that tequila or the vodka really look like. And developing that standards all the way back, because mm-hmm. if your suppliers aren't being used to ask those questions, they don't even have the documentation to tell you sometimes. Right. So if we all are asking and if we're all doing that, it just becomes easier to, to get that information to consumers. Consumers are so concerned about, you know, what food products they're putting in their body. But I mean, any sort of liquid or alcohol, same thing, right? (laughs) Going into your body. So for consumers to start asking those questions about everything they're consuming. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite memes is I will snort a random powder off a girl's boobs at a music festival, but don't you dare put cow milk in my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) There's all things that we do and don't do. (laughs) 
people have all different perspectives. And so I think the, the main thing is just fighting objections. I think a lot of the innovation that launches in food and beverage is like, hey, we're going to launch this whole brand based on the nutritionals or based mm -hmm. on the fact that it's eco-friendly. With Beatbox, we've kind of taken a different approach where it's like, hey, it's actually just a really fun brand, but we're going to cancel all these objections you may have by having a version of it that's lower ABV, completely all natural, no artificial ingredients, having it be eco-friendly, having it be led by diverse people. If you're going to do that kind of research on your company, you would be delighted with what you find out about Beatbox. But <laughs> at the point of purchase, it's all about the fun and, and hey, we're giving you a great value and that kind of thing. And that's one of the reasons we love it. <laughs> I'm mostly green. We think everyone should be taking steps, but it doesn't need to be screamed all the time. I think we should just make it normal. And mm -hmm. I think part of it making it normal is treating it like it's normal and not screaming it all the time. You'd be like, yeah. yeah, of course we're plastic neutral. Like, why wouldn't you be plastic neutral at this point? It's really not that expensive yeah. and it's a, a huge meaning to people, you know, things like that. I would love for that to be the normal conversation with folks. And the outliers are the ones not doing it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How can we make that the case? Well, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us on a Mostly Green Live podcast. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me. And I'm really excited about this whole podcast and excited to listen and learn more from your future guests. Well, I think we just got an early interview of a sustainable business titan. Yeah, she's going to win lots of awards in her lifetime. She did mention outside of the podcast that she has a great assistant who helps her achieve so much, but she kind of makes me feel like I'm standing still in terms of how much I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it was so endearing that her parents started as scrappy entrepreneurs too. Yeah, that one really got to me because when I was younger, I looked at vending machines a lot as a business. You can build empires with small revenue machines like that. Another funny part to me was that Amy and her partners turned their MBA alcohol business project into a Shark Tank success and the number one brand in their category. In engineering, we had a senior project building a processing plant of some kind. Most people chose the dairy or chemicals because we had studied those most in our classes. I, on the other hand, decided to choose a tequila distillery. <laughs> yep, it was going to be called Viegas Tequila, a family name on my mom's side. Amy makes me wonder what would have happened had I tried to turn that into a real business. Yeah, absolutely. I wish that would have turned into a real business. I'm sure it'd be better than Lalo, which we didn't have any this holiday season. What's up with that? I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> of the gallons of booze I think we drank over the holidays, zero Lalo. Maybe we should go get some today. Or is it Lalo? It's Lalo. I think Lalo. Lalo. Okay. I think. <laughs> You know, another tequila I've been wanting to try that we haven't is Mahinta Tequila. And I, I learned about them. They built their brand with sustainability as one of their fundamental principles and has a zero carbon footprint. Very so cool. We should get some. We could also have them on the podcast. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, moving on. Any other takeaways? You know, I think just harping on the concept of behind the scenes sustainability. It's what I always try to do with my companies, doing the right thing for the planet because it's right, not as marketing hoping that someday it's table stakes. The businesses that don't consider sustainability should be the outcasts. Yeah, absolutely. I love that too. You know, there's so much greenwashing out there, which can make things really confusing for consumers. I think it's really neat to learn about companies who aren't always shouting their sustainability efforts from the rooftops. Yeah, it makes me love them more. Yeah. 
I had been targeted by Allbirds for like two years or something. And for whatever reason, I wasn't compelled to make a purchase. And then I finally learned that they're a carbon neutral company and have a commitment to sustainability. I had no idea. Yeah. And I was like, where has this messaging been? (laughs) I would have definitely purchased this shoe over the last one if I would have known that. But, you know, their main messaging is the world's most comfortable shoe. So similar to Beatbox Beverages, it's a fun brand with a whole lot of thought put into how they created and still run the company. Very cool. Well, now it's time for our weekly giveaway. This week's winner will receive Beatbox swag and maybe some Beatbox booze. It depends on what state they're located in. Drum roll, please. And the winner is Rusty Shelton, who I believe is in Austin, so he can get some booze. Congrats, Rusty. Hit us up to redeem your prize. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying our podcasts, please, please subscribe wherever you listen, rate, and review. It helps us tremendously in our efforts here at A Mostly Green Life. Thanks for listening.